Greetings. This is Bashiri. And I'd like to welcome you to the Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast. Black men, I love you. Black women, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we tell our sons? Let's get out here and be the light. Let's be the solution. Let's fully uh, capitalize and incarnate and embody the inexhaustible energetic ingenuity that is resonant within the melaninated mind and overall black experience. Let's understand that we are the prayers uh, that we have been praying for. We are the solution that we seek. We are indeed ultimately the gods that we seek. All religions be damned if it doesn't serve you. You shouldn't serve it. What's going on, black man? What's going on, black woman? What's going on, black babies? Once again, I'd like to welcome you to the Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast. Here is our 10th episode, and we have found ourselves uh, really uh, deeply treating uh, a series of uh, that we are now in our sixth installation uh, that can, that contends and that wrestles um, with the, the idea and the declaration, uh, or maybe more over, uh, more aptly described as an inquiry as to why the civil rights movement was a failure. And so as we uh, endeavor to add um, and create, again, just provocative subject matter, and we uh, continue to extend our, our exploration into the aforementioned, we always have to situate ourselves contextually according to the socio-historical in the psychopolitical um, antecedents and precedents uh, that uh, inevitably give way um, to our current circumstances as a group. <sighs> so I'm here thinking again, as I, as I often do and ruminating on this subject, uh, very deeply and, and holding in tandem um, our current struggle as a group as we're looking at uh, police brutality and now we've leaped that forward into uh, having that whole to-do uh, recorded in real time and we're inundated with uh, a plethora of images and sounds um, that elicit all kinds of emotional responses. Uh, watching our men and our women and our children very often unarmed, um, very often um, not engaged in any sort of criminal behavior. However, witnessing an officer of the law, quote unquote, um, 
functioning in the capacity as judge, jury, and executioner, ensuring that our loved ones are given justice, ensuring that our loved ones don't make it home to the people who they mean the most to. And it has become routine and it has become uh, something that um, unfortunately we may be growing all the more desensitized to. And I'm here to suggest to you, uh, firstly, that what we're seeing is a continuation of and an expression of a self-hatred, a conditioning of the mind and the spirit um, that would give rise to the abdication of our own advocation for interests and matters that are pertinent to us such that we have not prepared ourselves, we have not um, facilitated an apparatus that would defend our interest economically, philosophically, ideologically, biologically. As a group, we have not attended to matters that are of the most vital importance and significance and relevance. And so what we're seeing in the streets, what we're seeing in the video is an ongoing continuation of our having been seduced, of our having been misled, of our unwillingness collectively to deal with reality as it is, as it present, as it presents itself, um, it's quite obvious to me that we've we have certainly been distracted. We have certainly been uh, otherwise engaged. Um, We've been about with the busy work of trying to become a part of and to assimilate with and to join and to um, push the value ethics of a non-confrontational enterprise that has left us perpetually at the bottom, perpetually having to be the recipients of the short end of a stick of a relationship that has been toxic, that has been demoralizing, a relationship that has left us diminished and denuded, disorganized, disintegrated, insulted, 
and, and somehow or other in the insanity of this perilous habituation, we continue to produce ongoing permutations of self-sabotage and the undermining of our self-interest. This is the context. <laughs> this is what we are contending with as a group. We're dealing with, as I often refer to, the the cosmetology of camaraderie. We want everybody to be our friends. We don't want to come to grips or to terms with the fact that we are in a competition for our very lives. We want to pretend and we want to project this ideology of what it could be like rather than accepting and fully engaging reality as it is. So somehow or other, we've allowed ourselves to become disenfranchised, disconnected, <sighs> and for all intents and purposes, um, deathly distorted in our understanding of life as it is. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with that caliber of a value ethic and principle that is interwoven within the ideology of the assimilationist civil rights movement uh, that has opted to become a part of rather than stand against our enemies. It is an insidious and deep self-hatred and undermining of uh, the autonomy of our group as such. Ultimately, um, I think I think I have done a decent job at teasing out uh, the psychological uh, implications and um, um, catalysts, as it were. Uh, that have been part and parcel of the social engineering of a condition that has been installed and imbibed, that has been interjected, that has been um, ultimately internalized by our group on the basis of power dynamics 
and inequities that have sought to be sustained via the uh, careful and meticulous and very calculated methodology employed in the American context of white oppression, white supremacy and white dominance over and against black subservience. Hmm? Um, black domination and the inculcation of a psychology and a condition of perpetual submission to the dictates of the dominant society. We've unpacked what racism is, right? We've divorced it from its emotional uh, associations. We understand that it is an economic enterprise um, whose interests are preoccupied with the procurement of vital life resources over and against the development and the capacity and the capability of the targeted population to do the same uh, under the auspices of competition informed by a paradigm of scarcity. We understand that the insult and that the denigration um, and the um, the pathologization of the targeted group on the basis of ethnic phenotypes is incidental within that context and is instrumental um, to the sustaining of domination insofar as the targeted population again ingests and assimilates the insult and in a created sense we become what we have eaten and then reciprocally we are eaten up by the same as a group and what we see in the current in 2020 man is the manifestation of the poison that we have imbibed and the poison that we have become ultimately to ourselves for the benefit of the dominant population with respect to their power and economic goals. This is the foreground of the discussion of why the civil rights movement has been a failure, you know? All of these things, all of these dynamics that I've just delineated, um, that I've just given voice to, loom in the background 
of our day-to-day existence in the cell that is known as America. And I'm not waxing poetic here, like in a, in a very real way. Um, our bonds, our our chains, the ways in which that we are held and restrained are intangible. Our thought processes that have been engineered intentionally by circumstances, by the creation of policy and enforcement. We talk about punishment and reward and how they uh, serve the creative interest of the dominant population of a caliber of people who ultimately serve as the economic engines for the prosperity of another in that they do not own their labor, but their labor is owned by another. This is principally what we're getting at. You know, this is what has to be dealt with. Nothing has changed. Time has elapsed. Procedures and methods have evolved, right? Cosmetics and the visage of oppression has transformed. But fundamentally, structurally, um, the genetics of oppression remains consistent through time, even at a quantum level, (laughs) to use um, that as a metaphor for how the macro manifestation of oppression remains unchallenged, unchanged, um, and unfazed. We shall overcome the civil rights movement, said. And I wonder in hindsight whose voice was singing through those black bodies who with all manner of conviction and sincerity and soul articulated that claim. And depending on your perspective, either made good on it if you're of dissuasion that that voice that was singing through the bodies of those people was an alien voice 
In which case, yeah, they did overcome the real impetus for resistance and revolution. Or you're you're hearing a prophetic articulation of, of a condition that has yet to come to fruition. And maybe it's a combination of both as it pertains to uh, the elucidation of that dynamic. I can't concretely speak to. What I can speak to, however, are the outcomes or the outcomes of that movement. And what I can't say is it failed us. It failed us. It failed to deliver. Um, what's necessary for us to be competitive, to be self-reliant, to be beyond the uh, purview of the manipulation of oppressive modalities. And so that's where we are. And when we consider what it is that we have to develop now in our conscious in order to pivot powerfully towards the transcendence of our current conditions and circumstances, we understand that we have to learn from our mistakes, that we have to benefit from the lessons of our lumps, so to speak. And we have to take those blunders and we have to turn them into brilliant redemption. Or otherwise, um, continue in error and run the risk of the ultimate expression of the conclusion of such an error, which is death. And I know, I know you all are saying we all have to die, and this is true. Yeah, we all have to die individual deaths, but I'm talking about the complete decimation and possible extinction of our group. Don't for once think that that's an impossibility. Don't for once get in your mind that as a group, we're too necessary for the survival of those who are now um, lording over us. 
I've told you in other podcasts that the interest of power is to streamline its energetic investment uh, such that it can get more for less with respect to its dominant interests. We've seen the ways they've tried or are continuing to evolve uh, as it pertains to the state of, of affairs of franchising oppression. We've seen the ways they've employed other groups to undermine our development. I'm talking about other ethnic groups per immigration. We've seen uh, how um, technology has leaped the labor market forward. And it has become global in scope and how they are hiring all over the world. Yet again, undermining the fundamental logic in their mind for our existing, which is labor. They have found it expedient um, economically and politically to circumvent even investing in uh, the development of our being trained for jobs. They'd rather train others all across the globe for less of an investment and, and a greater yield um, in terms of output and production and to a large extent um, have relegated our labor to obsolescence, right? And so where does that leave us functionally? Well, <laughs> that leaves us being eradicated in uh, a number of ways. The prison industrial complex is one. Police brutality is another. The criminalization of our men, our women, our children. Brutalized and murdered in the streets. Hmm? Using people with melanin to spearhead the attack on our communities and, and then step back and call that progress because we have representation at tables of power, it quotes. And the optics say that, oh, we, we've invited you to share with us. But what kind of sharing are we talking about? If you're inviting members of our groups to share with you in ways to dominate, to decimate, and to ultimately destroy us, how in the world is that equity? How in the world is that freedom? How in the world is that power? My civil rights folks, how in the world have we overcome 
in that regard. And so I submit to you the civil rights movement ultimately has been a failure. Ideologically, it has interjected into us a consciousness that says we need saviors outside of our community. We need to appeal to the decency and the diplomacy of murderers and rapists and marauders and liars who by history are ravenous, carnivorous, cannibalistic in their avarice and their greed and their desire for power, worship, and supremacy. And we, in outright stupidity, who accept such an appeal to the uh, corrosive consciousness <laughs> of the aforementioned group do so to our own peril. We do, and we have done it. And it's time that we speak truthfully about our missteps here in that regard. I'm thinking now of the fact uh, that we have been circumstantially situated intentionally to occupy a space of rabid and undisciplined consumerism. And that has been a weakness for us. That has kept our economy, well, we don't have an economy. <laughs> All we have is money. And our rabid and undisciplined consumerist habits have kept us from developing the organization of our monies. And because we lack organization and intention with the monies that we do have, we don't have an economy, um, but we squander uh, what we could potentially galvanize and aggregate to develop real power in the world. It's our appetites. It's our values. It's our tastes. It's what we have desired. It's what we believe um, is profitable, prestigious. Hmm. And so we've been inverted in terms of our values, in terms of our tastes, in terms of our habits. But we can pivot. We can transform our appetites. 
We can transform our values. We can transform our tastes. And we can attune those values, those appetites, and those tastes. Um, we can attune that, those dynamics. With a desire to transcend our current lot as a dominated, oppressed, and beleaguered group. Those who benefit from our disorganization enrich themselves thereby. It will behoove us to begin the journey of enriching ourselves by determining what's desirable, what's good, what's appropriate, what's prestigious. So you're dealing with definitions, you're dealing with discipline, you're dealing with creating the caliber of desires and appetites that serve the power goals of this group. And we need to develop power goals. Let me just say that outright so there is no mistake about it. We need to get very comfortable with speaking about power and the acquisition of the same for our group and the benefit thereof. Got to do it. You're dead without power. Got to have it. You know? Even in your, your biology, you, if, if you don't have power, you're dead. You're not alive. Right? If you don't have the, the currency of energy moving in and about your body, you are deceased. And so as a group, we need to take control of the currency. We need to control our mouths and our markets such that we can develop hubs of power in our groups that will allow us to change the social conditions, to change the political circumstances, to transform our movement in the world and the movement of others with respect to us on the basis of our having been illuminated and our understanding of the power that we dissipate through our lack of knowledge of self, through the lack of esteem that we have for ourselves, through the lack of our understanding of how influ influential our cultural capital has been to inform the worldwide marketplaces, okay? We're instrumental. We matter here in this space, 
in very important ways. And it is time that we stop allowing ourselves to be co-opted, commandeered, and strangled by people who see our value in ways that we have not acknowledged in ourselves as of yet. This all speaks to the civil rights movement. The, 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 the conditions that I just described um, are an outgrowth of what we've inherited. Speaking of modifying our consumer habits. Boycotts were instrumental to the civil rights movement. One famous one. I'll revisit it again. The Montgomery bus boycott. Right there is a sterling example of how we could leverage how we consume products for our benefit and for our interest to change social and political conditions by how we decide to behave as a group in a collective with economic sensibility. Now, the goal of the Montgomery bus boycott was misguided because the goal was to ride <laughs> in white buses. But what we can take away from the power of the boycott was the ways in which power responds to power. We powerfully organize our tastes, our interests, and our behaviors with respect to a goal. And when we put our monies behind what we desired, we were able to leverage for... Uh, a specified outcome. Misguided as it was, we still were able to leverage. That is still power that we have available to us today. That's all I'm ever speaking about when I'm talking about uh, shoring up our internal markets and seeing to it that uh, we become resourceful in meeting the needs of our group rather than relying on outsiders who come into our markets. They take our economic and financial resources. They enrich themselves and build wealth for their families and their communities. And they leave nothing but an insult to invest back into ours. 
And it's time for us to stop being so toxically kind and accommodating and inviting. There needs to be principal protection of our markets via the furnishing of businesses that will serve our material needs with the interest and the understanding that the best investment we could ever make is an investment in one another. The investment in self-reliance. And when we've mastered that, then maybe we can speak about inroads with other groups and liaisons with other groups from the vantage point of having situated ourselves powerfully to compete for our interests. Quid pro quo, something for me, something for you. But I'm never gonna do something for you that's going to undermine, insult, and destabilize my economic well-being, my social stability. Um, and my ability to leverage the stabilization of my economy and my people politically for the well-being of the entire group. And that needs to be the modus operandi of black people going forward. The civil rights movement did not teach us that outrightly or directly. It was more so we get on the good side and within the good graces of white people and we should be okay hitching our wagon to their star rather than developing our galaxy potential within. Boy, were our aims and goals super low in that aspect. I love you guys. Um, those of you who resonate with the message that's being disseminated here. Um, I'm going to park it here. I am. I come to you in love, peace, and confrontation. I sign off in love, peace, and confrontation. It's not just about parsing out the problem. It's also about shining a light on those people in your community who are doing an incredible work. Here locally in Hampton Roads, Hampton Roads is regional black chamber of commerce, black brand, blackbrand.biz. If you are industrious, endeavor to be industrious, entrepreneurial, endeavor to be entrepreneurial, you need to link yourself with a network and a nexus of powerful, like-minded individuals who have your overall economic well-being, both in head and in heart. Black Brand, 
blackbrand.biz, a 150-year economic plan in the making exclusively for black people. Black man, I love you. Black woman, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we tell our sons? Let's all get out here and be the light. Let's understand that we are the solution, that we are the gods that we seek. I encourage you again to fully capitalize, embody, and incarnate on the inexhaustible energetic ingenuity that is part and parcel of the melaninated mind and overall black experience. Understand that we're going to be making mountain moves a single grain at a time. I'd encourage you and implore you, please uh, do something that's going to make the future proud. And above all else, don't be a fraud. I sign off in love, peace, and confrontation. Everybody, please be safe. Until next time, peace.